0: As an introduction to this episode, I would like to read my editorial published in November of 2017, which I find particularly relevant still today. Writing once again from Washington DC for this issue and through the prism of a particularly polarized Washington, which is facing the aftermath of two massive hurricanes that hit Texas and Florida. Harvey and Irma respectively, I was very attentive to hear General James Mattis speak as he stood in front of the White House in a solemn proclamation following Kim Jong-un's 50 megaton hydrogen bomb explosion which caused a 6.3 Richter scale earthquake. Invited on France 24 in French on August 10 2017, I gave an overview of what would be involved should North Korea want to strike Guam or as it since has done, fly twice over Japan and land its missiles in its territorial waters in an attempt to show force and rattle sabers in the region. After two resolutions by the UN Security Council that were both voted to unanimously punish the regime of Rocket Man, we can consider the options limited, given that North Korea is all but officially a nuclear power, and to go to war with a nuclear power would kill millions i.e. Mutually Assured Destruction, or MAD. Considering that half of the world's trade takes place along the Pacific Rim and is developing, be it through the Trans-Pacific Partnership or through China's Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, outside of nuclear war, there are other risks that are fragilizing the ecosystem, the economy, and its sustainability, such as overfishing and illegal fishing, human pollution, and the plastic continent. On the environmental and climate front, there have been and will be more typhoons, hurricanes as a result of global climate change that in turn will require adequate and timely crisis responses to increasing humanitarian assistance and disaster relief. This is all compounded by an open and ongoing arms race, exacerbated by trends in military spending as per the CIPRI report on military spending published in April 2017. Between 2007 and 2016, China had the biggest growth in military spending with an increase of 118%, followed by Russia, 87%, and India, 54%. Just looking at Asia, we can notice an increase in defense spending of 9%, from $326 billion to $356 billion from 2013 to 2015. Not only is China building artificial islands to serve 3,000-acre aircraft carriers, they are also building radar and missile systems, as well as airfields on these islands. North Korea has doubled its military spending to about $10 billion from 2013 to 2015. Kim Jong-un knows that only through military might will he be able to retain his grip on power internally and maintain some level of influence in the region. Therefore, let's consider the facts that engaging in nuclear North Korea and a military exchange might bring to bear and how it would affect the region and how it could divide the international community. Number one, nearly 100,000 oil tankers go through the Malacca Strait each year. Two, nine of the ten biggest ports are in China or the region. Three, five of the declared nuclear nations are in the region. Four, seven of the ten most powerful military bases are in the region. Five, the overall militarization of the region, citing from Cypri again, North Korea has launched 85 ballistic missiles. Six, China's construction and outfitting of several atolls. Seven, the U.S. allies in the region are Japan, South Korea, the Philippines, Thailand, Australia, New Zealand, and Taiwan. Eight, unanimous condemnations of North Korea launching 85 ballistic missiles. United Nations Security Council Resolution 2371 on August 5. 15 to 0. And finally 9, Council of Europe added 9 people and 4 entities to the list. I still remember Dmitry Medvedev's Medvedev's statement at the 2016 Munich Security Conference when he said that we are in a new Cold War, and that this year, 2016, reminded him of 1962. And as Admiral Stavridis so aptly pointed out in this article in Foreign Policy, and I quote, It's not so much the strength that we have to fear, but the weakness and what will happen if the regime fails, the country implodes, to create massive destabilization on the Korean Peninsula. Everything that the U.S. troop presence on the 38th parallel has been trying to avoid for the last five decades. Will this crisis lead to the acceptance of South Korea and Japan having their own nuclear defense forces? They are both presently under the protection of the U.S. nuclear umbrella. Another aspect of this crisis that has not been mentioned explicitly is the conditions of the applicability of Article 5 of the NATO treaty. An attack on one is attack on all. How will North Korea's powerful neighbors to the north, Russia and China, deal with this latest crisis or threat? Have we gone past the diplomatic phase, and which power centers or capitals will be involved, pulled in to join or mount against the current measures being initiated against North Korea? Has North Korea been able to develop its nuclear program and weapons during the Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama's presidencies with a now confirmed nuclear capacity only possible to have acquired in isolation, under sanction, under wraps. How effective were the international community's policies vis-a-vis North Korea? The largest question looming is not only what will the cost of a war be but what other geopolitical and geoeconomic consequences will this crisis have on other regions in the world? All this is playing out on the backdrop of a very divisive, polarized Washington, D.C., where U.S. President Donald Trump is trying to steer the country in the right direction as the support of his base diminishes on his recent stances on domestic issues, such as the wall and DACA, as the Republican Party becomes more divided, as the Democratic Party leads the obstruction in the House and the Senate, and is actively motivating and encouraging weekly protests. Will the President's overtures to Chuck and Nancy support his perpetual search for self-preservation? Will the economy continue to grow at 3% of GDP as the New York Stock Exchanges race past 22,000 points? Optimism is back. Jobs are being created. Consumers are spending again. Wages are going up. But what is worrying? is that the occupation in the workforce is at its lowest levels since 1977, at 62.7%. With Brexit and challenges facing Europe as detailed by the President of the European Commission, Jean-Paul Juncker, in the State of the Union of Europe, with Russia leading the offensive against ISIS in uh, Syria, and with China flexing both its military and economic muscles in the Pacific, are we not seeing, once again, the quest for spheres of influence by the Great Three Powers? Was Dmitry Medvedev correct in seeing a new Cold War coming?